morning. It's not very enthusiastic. Good morning. I am starting to feel like a cat let out of a cage. I um, uh, three weeks ago, uh, I, three weeks ago on uh, is it four weeks ago? Sunday morning, I was here, and afterwards uh, we left, and I, I started feeling a little bit dodgy, and I thought, oh no, I'm going to get a cold. It flattened me for two and a half weeks. And then after that, I had this exhaustion thing. And you know, you know, when you believe for healing, when you feel sick, you kind of, you've got this internal argument. You know what I mean? How many of you have ever had that, where you believe for healing, but you've got this internal argument, this is not happening, this is not happening. And so um, there was one day I got up and I felt partly better. And so I got on the exocycle and I went for it and that flattened me again for three days. And um, uh, my wife assures me that I'm not contagious because um, there'll be an altar call afterwards and uh, I can just imagine the altar call happening if I'm on this side, you're all on that side. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, before I start, there's a couple of things I just want to say that are, is actually not for the benefit of those of us that are in the room because strangely enough, uh, quite a few people um, seem to stumble on our podcast, which I think is, I think is amusing and interesting and hilarious and... Uh, and if we don't post it, uh, Simon's very good at posting it, but if the podcast is not posted, I, get, I start getting messages. And so uh, the first thing is, um, uh, for the last few weeks, um, these envelopes have been turning up on my desk, uh, not addressed to me, Kristen Williams, addressed to my Facebook name. And, uh, and uh, a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you briefly one small part of the message about pouring water on the altar. And I mentioned about tithing. And I just in passing, I mentioned this is one of the places where this, I think there's two places in the Bible where God says, you can test me. One is taste and see that the Lord is good. And one is bring the whole tithe and test me. And I suggested, what do you got to lose? Give it a go for six weeks. And so someone it would appear that listens to the podcast and knows me by my Facebook name, decided they were going to give it a go. And so I don't know who they are. There's no indication. You can't even tell on the stamp whether it's local or, or it's somewhere in New Zealand. That's all I know. Um, and so if it's one of you doing it on the sneaky, I don't know that. Um, but I actually, because this is not testing the message they heard, it's testing the word of God. So, so Lord, for that person, I just simply pray that you would do what you said you would do. That as that person is bringing their tithe into the storehouse, that Lord, you would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on them in the name of Jesus. And of course, sometimes that blessing can be a financial thing. Uh, more often, I think it tends to be related to the issue of true riches. Although um, it's not my story to tell, but someone else on that particular day uh, took a step of faith and bought a, a small, a small uh, offering in obedience to the Lord and within an hour had seen something really remarkable happen financially. So sometimes it's that too. The second thing I, I just want to uh, talk about is um, I have a very good and dear friend who lives in Portland. His name's Steve Trujillo. Uh, that's spelt uh, with a J, T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O, but it's Trujillo because he's a Cuban man. And he pastors a church that meets at Portland State University called The Father's House. Can I put the name Steve Trujillo on your radar? Uh, I just found out uh, two days ago that he has, he's, he's one of the most courageous, fire-breathing, apostolic men that I know. 
his church is a courageous church. Like when I first would go there, it was, they had lots of homeless people that they would feed that would then come to church. Lots of people uh, in their church that were detoxing from from drugs, one of whom uh, I, I know now has planted a church. So that's a pretty good testimony. I got born again, uh, detoxed, and now has planted a church, and I keep in close contact with him. But this man, Steve, his wife, Deborah, they, they are, they're good friends. I've been to their church probably 20 times over the last 15 years. He has a malignant brain tumor. And so, Lord, we agree with this thundering chorus of prayer that is being offered for him on the other side of the earth, we agree with that and say, Lord, would you heal this man? Would you touch him and would you heal him in the name of Jesus Christ? We thank you for him. We thank you for the testimony of what you have done uh, in his life and through his life. We thank you for the family at the Father's house in downtown Portland. We thank you for those around him. Thank you for his family. Lord, we pray for the grace of healing to be upon him in Jesus' name. Uh, and the last thing before I get to my message is um, uh, there is uh, there is a particular young lady. She's uh, she's six, and she insists on listening to this podcast as she goes to sleep every night. Isn't that interesting? She doesn't want stories. She wants she wants the podcast. I think that's pretty interesting. And I've been praying for this little little lady. Uh, um, and so she'll know who I'm talking. I'm not going to say her by name, but I, she'll know, you know, little girl, you know, little blonde girl, you know who you are. You know who I'm talking to. And I pray great blessing on her too. I think she's going to be a great firebrand for the Lord in the days ahead. I don't know what you were listening to when you were six, but I was not listening to Christian podcasts. I hadn't even heard the term podcast uh, or really Christian at that point when I was six. But uh, this wee girl, she's got, the, um, she's got the word of God going into her, and she gets quite insistent. Uh, and uh, her, her dad told me that she has been, uh, uh, he's, he's been array, ranging around on the internet looking for other podcasts for her. So wouldn't it be awesome to see a whole company of three and four and five and six-year-olds that are just getting hungry for the word of God? I, have, I am absolutely convinced coming into today that God was saying to us that he was going to dwell in the praises of his people. And as we were singing, you're beautiful, holy smokes. I sat in my house last night uh, in the dark. Tasha and Isaac are up at a swim meet. Hope had come back from holidaying down the line. She'd gone to bed. And I sat in the lounge with my headphones on with that song, you're beautiful, blaring in the darkness. And uh, I was just being undone especially by we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Holy smokes, dear Lord Jesus, what have you purchased for us? That God's presence would dwell as we praised him and that God's dunamis power would rest on the declaration of his word. Paul said this, he said, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, we, we can't, we can't, we can't work that up. I can't eloquent that up, but by faith, we believe that that is what's true. And so today we're actually going to be doing a verse by verse study in John chapter 11. You can open your Bibles. And I believe that God is going to put his dunamis power. I don't believe his dunamis power rests on uh, preaching of opinions. I believe the dunamis power is going to increasingly rest upon 
the simplicity of the declaration of the word of God. Amen. That's a good point, Kristen. Thank you. God bless you. Here we go. Lord, do what you said you would do. Would you agree that the meaning of words can change over time? I remember once years ago being, uh, getting in trouble with the elders of a church where I was a youth pastor because we used to use the word wicked. Oh, how was youth group? Oh, I said to one of the elders, he said, how's the youth group going? I said, oh, it's totally wicked. And he wrote a letter to the elders board complaining that the youth pastor was running a wicked youth ministry. Uh, nowadays, if you say to young people, how, you know, how, how, was, how was such and such? Sometimes they'll say, oh, it was totally sick. And I'm like, what? Sick. I don't, you know, and I know there's life and death is in the power of the tongue, but the meaning of words can change, right? Like, you know, you know 20 years ago, if someone had said to you, you know, if you, if you, went, to, you, know, if you went to a concert or something, you wouldn't have said it was sick. If, if, if they said, if you said it was sick, they'd go, oh, did you ask for your money back? It's also power, uh, possible for words with very powerful meanings to be diluted when we misuse or overuse those words. For example, the word awesome. Awesome means overwhelmingly full of awe. It's like fall down on your face, overwhelmed with awe. But now we say like, oh, how's your burger? Oh, it's awesome. That's an awe. I got a, oh, this burger is awesome. How are those, how are those KFC fries? Oh, they're awesome. How's that, how's that 1975 Mitsubishi Galant? Oh, it's awesome, you know? And we've, we've, we've lost some of the meaning of that word. It dilutes the reality of what we're talking about. I believe this can happen with the word that God gave us for our theme for the month. Our theme for the month is resurrection. It was going to be resurrection life, but I realized there's, I, I, just wanted, I just felt like the Lord said it's resurrection. Resurrection is the demonstration of the power and presence of God that in various ways and contexts brings life from the dead. It's more than a surge of hype. It's more than a moment of human enthusiasm. It's more than a good vibe. Resurrection is when something that had perished or was perishing is brought back to life. And of course, we know from the Word of God that this applies, obviously, to, for example, the physical body of Jesus regarding what we've just done with communion. I believe it also applies to spiritual realities. And even for us as individuals, it can apply to things like hope. How many of you know that hope can die? Hello? I'm not talking about hope who lives with us, by the way. Although my wife sent me a message last night, she said, is hope home yet? And I said, no, the house is hopeless. <laughs> it's nice when you can say your house is hopeful or hopeless. And anyway, calling, a sense of calling can die and needs to be resurrected. Purpose, spiritual gifts. And the reason that we're talking about resurrection is resurrection is an immovable, undeniable, unstoppable foundation of this faith. Muhammad died and stayed dead. Just saying. Buddha died. And I understand 
parts of him were chopped up and parceled out to the Buddhist world as, as remembrances of him, but he died. You've seen his tooth. Awesome. How inspiring. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Son of God, more than a prophet, borrowed a tomb. How many people say, hey, bro, can I borrow your tomb? And you need it three days and then you can have it back. This is the one thing that sets this faith apart from every other faith. There is no other faith on this earth where the guy who founded it got up. Hallelujah. And not only that, the Bible says, and we're going to look at this, I'll just untangle myself from my puffer jacket. The Bible says that he, and it was in that passage that Annette read to us, he didn't just get up, but he is the firstborn from the dead. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to John chapter 11. This uh, theme this month is going to be in three parts. Today we're doing uh, resurrection, Lazarus, Lazarus, not Lazarus, Lazarus, the man who was raised from the dead. Two weeks from today, we're doing Jesus, the man who was raised from the dead and uh, lives forever as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And guess what? Uh, he's, he's not here today, but uh, Danny is teaching that one. How many of you know that when we loose Danny Spence on you, that's going to be filled with quite a bit of enthusiasm? Okay, don't get too excited. And then, uh, and then the third part is the resurrection, the first and second resurrection, the great resurrection at the end of the age. And we are turning Ken loose on you that day. He's in denial about that, but he said yes. So let's look at John chapter 11. Did you do something while I wasn't looking? He's not in denial. That's good. You were temporarily. Both with him and with Danny, when I said, would you do it? You just got this blank, like, blood draining out of the face look, like, what are you talking about? Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 11, he was sick. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was nearby, about two miles away. And he hears that Lazarus is sick, but he doesn't come immediately. So he doesn't come immediately. Look at verse 4 of John chapter 11. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, so he makes that statement, but then this happens. Then Lazarus dies. This seems to make a lie of Jesus' words that Lazarus was not sick unto death. And for four days, Lazarus' body was there as an uncontested testimony that Jesus had not told the truth. Jesus had said he will not die. And for four days, there was an uncontested testimony accusing Jesus of lying. Verse 15. Further on, Jesus says, as he comes, he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Listen, that you may believe, that you may believe. So right here, right now, Jesus is making this statement. He's saying this entire event, the life of Lazarus, the death of Lazarus was for your benefit, that you may believe. Jesus was about to do something that was outside the realm of that which they could disregard, that, that outside the realm of that which could be rationalized away. 
How many times have you seen God do something in your life and you have this moment where you're like, wow. But then you begin to rationalize it. You begin to do a few rounds with, did God really say? Was that really real? No? Hello? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? You went quiet. (laughs) So Jesus was about to do something outside the realm of that which could be rationalized or explained away. And I want you to think for a moment. Imagine the ongoing effects that this had on those that saw it when he raised him from the dead. Imagine the effects that it had on Lazarus. Imagine the Lazarus after this. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus' body had been there in the tomb in the Middle Eastern heat. I, I don't know what time of year it was, but we were in, we were in the Middle East in, in, uh, in Israel uh, in autumn, in mid-autumn, and it was still 40 degrees around Jerusalem. Lazarus' body had been laid in the tomb for four days. For four days, he had been held captive by death. There was no doubt about it. There was no, there was no possibility that he had just swooned and come back. He'd been in there for four days without hope, without any power to raise himself from the dead. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the Valley of Dry Bones. It reminds me of the Valley of Dry Bones, verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, indeed, our bones are dry, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. This is exactly where Lazarus was. It's exactly where we are without Christ. Without Christ, our hope is gone. Without Christ, we are cut off. And so Jesus turns up to this man who is like the valley of dry bones. His hope is cut off. And now look at verse 20. This is where it starts to get interesting. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now listen to this. This is outrageous. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So he says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And she immediately defaults to at the end of the age, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's a pretty good place for us as Christians to actually stop and take a breath. Because I think that many Christians don't believe in that anymore. I think that we have taken this faith that is grand and expansive and goes beyond this life and we've brought it all down to it's all about your life now. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in the first and second resurrection at the end of the age. I believe that at the end of the age we will rise.
I feel like I'm preaching better than you responded to that, actually. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, that he punched a hole and made a way. I believe that because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Death is not a destination. It's something we pass through. And then he goes on, he says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is a foundation of our faith. You cannot be a Christian believer without this being a foundation of our faith. Jesus has overcome our greatest adversary. Our greatest adversary is, 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 our greatest adversary is not financial ruin. Our greatest adversary is not shame. Our greatest adversary is not a vaccine or a government, this, that, or the other thing. Our greatest adversary was death and Jesus punched a hole right through the middle of it. Verse 32. Here we go, the resurrection of Lazarus. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Notice this, verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also have kept him from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been in there four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he had died, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes on his face and wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Take note of this. This is not a parable. This is not a poem. This is an account of an actual event. This really happened. This really happened. This is not fake news. This is not disinformation. This really happened. Now let's have a look. It says when Jesus, it says he, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 35, the shortest verse in all of the Bible, Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's also one of the most potent because these two words destroy the argument that God doesn't give a rip. They destroy the argument that God is distant and disinterested and pays no attention to what's going on. It gets rid of the argument that God does not care that he is aloof. Listen, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he had the power and the authority to speak and Lazarus would come out of the tomb. So why was he troubled? I don't think it had anything to do at that moment specifically with Lazarus because I think he knew exactly what was about to happen. I think it was to do that he was troubled and wept because of the wider context because humanity, we were created eternal, but we threw it away. 
We lost our inheritance in the garden when, when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the one tree in the garden that humanity was commanded not to eat from. And as a result of that, death and shame and sin and separation from God came into humanity's existence. And as Jesus was standing there, he was not just confronted with the death of his friend, he was confronted with death. He was looking the adversary in the eye that he had come to destroy, that he would take on at the cross. He was looking the whole thing in the eye. It wasn't just, in my opinion, about Lazarus. I think it was partly about Lazarus, but it was not just about Lazarus. Jesus was on a mission to destroy death forever. And in that moment, Jesus was standing face to face with the immense cost of sin and the damage that was done to humanity. He was looking his adversary right in the face. And he was on a mission to destroy it. And then he said this, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and that you always hear me. Jesus knew his father was hearing him. Jesus knew his father was always hearing him. And guess what? Because of the cross, we can share that confidence. That last night sitting in my lounge, and I was sitting in there and I was talking to the Lord, he was hearing me. This morning as we were in our prayer meeting, he was hearing us. Today, if you're here and there's something weighing heavy on your heart, maybe, maybe you even think it's too minor a thing. Why would God care? He hears you. Because of the cross, he hears. When we pray, we're not speaking into an empty abyss. We are heard in the Father's throne room. But Jesus said this. He says, I know that you hear me. But I'm saying this out loud because of the people standing by that, listen, that they may believe. So first of all, he says to the ladies, he says that you might believe. You know, I think that there is two parts to this, that Jesus comes and he says to us as the family of faith that you might believe. But there's a wider mission than just that we would believe. It's that they might believe. And I think that we might, have, we might lose sight of that too easily. Why is it important that they might believe? Jesus' desire is for men, women, and children to believe and to be saved. Hello? There's no other pathway. We've been looking for one as humanity. We've been looking for one for like five or 6,000 years. If there was another one, we might have found it by now. There is no other pathway. There is no other door. Jesus' great desire for men, women, and children is that they believe and they are saved. And it is our great privilege and our commandment to share this goal and desire and to participate. I'll give you an example. We had, um, we had uh, some, some real estate agents sitting at our dining table the other day. And... Um, We've been having a wonderful time sharing the gospel with these real estate agents that, um, subject to us finding another house, have now sold our house for us. That's the easy part. How many of you know the hard part at the moment is finding a place? The easy part is selling the place. 
And we're sitting there and uh, one of the real estate agents, she pipes up and, and she started talking about uh, a member of her family that is a Christian and is, in her opinion, a total hypocrite. It's a common objection. Oh, yeah, I know Christians are all hypocrites. And so she says this thing to me. She says, I'm not very religious. And I piped up and said, me neither. And I got to talk to them. I said, religion is man trying to get to God. The Christian faith is that Jesus paid the price and got to share the testimony and pray for them at the dining table. Then three days later, one of the agents was back in the house. And I told him about where I sit in the house in the mornings and how I spend time with God, where I pray. And he says, I've started doing that. But he says, I'm doing it to center myself. I'm sitting with my own thoughts. I said, that's not going to help you, mate. You're just going to sit there with an empty abyss. You've actually got to invite someone into that because this is a relationship. There is no other way. It's our privilege. It's our commandment. We are compelled to share the gospel with those around us. We are compelled to share the gospel. Was it William Booth or John Wesley? One of them said, I don't believe in the salvation of a person. I do, I do not believe a person is saved if they're not trying to see other people saved. It's our, it's our responsibility. It's our privilege. And we can, you know, we have, we've got to get rid of this idea that, that that means you've got to be this personality or that personality. It's about all of us and the multiplied different ways that we can share the gospel, sharing the gospel, telling our story, that the way that the gospel comes out of David is different from the way that the gospel comes out of me, that the way that the gospel comes out of Ashley is different from the way that it comes out of you. We've all got to play our part. It's time for us to stop saying, I will leave that to the evangelists. Nonsense. All right, I've got to finish this up. You sure you're doing okay? Then Jesus said this, Lazarus, come forth. You know, the interesting thing is that Lazarus would have been buried in a hill that was full of tombs. Imagine if Jesus had left out the Lazarus. It was important to specify Lazarus, otherwise everyone would have been raised, I believe. Everyone. He says, says, Lazarus, come forth. Do you know what? This is a forerunner to the far greater reality at the end of the age. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout And with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, at the end of the age, he shouts. And every person that has died in Christ rises first. You want to be in Christ because you want in on that. Lazarus comes out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Lazarus comes out of the tomb wearing the signs of death. And Jesus' immediate response was, loose him. Get that crap off him. Pardon me. Get the death stuff off him. Unwrap him. Loose him. Get that stuff off him. And again, this is a picture of God's work in our lives even right now. You know, the Bible makes it clear that because of sin, we were, we were born in sin. We were, that's why we need to be born again, because we were effectively born Spiritually dead. We were all born carrying the grave clothes. 
And Jesus comes and by the Holy Spirit, He goes to work. He says, let's get that stuff. Let's get that shame. Let's get that fear. Let's get that hopelessness. Let's get that, let's get that, that lie of evolution and all the confusion and all the stuff. Let's get it off you. Get the shame off you, the fear off you, the bondage off you, the addiction off you. Uh-oh. There's a little person on the other side of that door, I think, calling for you. So here's the thing. Lazarus was resurrected, but he still died again as an older man. He was resurrected to be a testimony for a period of time until he came to the end of his days. But one day there will be an ultimate resurrection that lasts forever. For now, there is an expression of resurrection in this current context that is about bringing that which has died back to life. Salvation. How many of you remember the day you became a follower of Jesus? For me, it was the 17th of December, 1985, on the sand at Oriwa, sorry, Oriwa Beach. The northern end of, no, it's Oriwa to me, sorry. I do my best, but. The northern end of Oriwa Beach. I can remember the feeling when the God that I did not believe was real touched me and it was like something went snap on the inside and everything changed. I remember the next day driving my 1975 Mitsubishi Galant. <laughs> with Van Halen playing on the stereo. And I remember turning that off because I was just weeping because it was literally like the sky was bluer and the grass was greener, and I'm just driving around just weeping. I remember going for the first time ever to a church service, to St. Saviour's Anglican Church in Blockhouse Bay. Christmas Eve service, and looking at the stained glass windows, they had three stained glass windows. One was the cross, one was the empty tomb, and one was Jesus ascending. And I remember sitting there as they were singing old Christmas carols, and I remember just weeping for joy. I'd never wept for joy at Christmas. My main anticipation was like, oh, that's a big present. Something came to life. That's resurrection. When hope comes to life. How many of you have ever been through an ex a, a period of time where, where your, your, your hope was cut off? Hello? I can tell you absolutely ca categorically that I have been through that. And some of you have seen me go through that. And for hope to rise on the inside where suddenly you're like, actually, after feeling like I don't have any sort of a contribution to make, maybe I actually do. Maybe there is actually something. Maybe God could actually use a buff head like me. That's a Hebrew term. Every time you sit with God, how many of you have ever had that where you sit with God alone? Sorry, I get it. And you just know that you're clean before him. That you've got an open line of communication. Have you ever sat in your chair in the dark? I had shout to the Lord playing after 
Jesus, You're Beautiful, last night. That's a magnificent song. I'd shout to the Lord, blasting through my headphones, almost as loud as I could stand it. Sitting there in the chair in the dark, weeping, because there's an open line of unbreakable communication between me and God that I could never have earned, but that Jesus paid for. That's resurrection. Really, I'm doing my best with you. I really am. I really am. But I don't want it to. It's not about wise and persuasive words or human enthusiasm. It's got to be about the power of God. So actually, Lynn and worship team, would you mind coming, please? Anyone ever felt hopeless? Got one word for you. Resurrection. Anyone ever felt disqualified? Hmm? Resurrection. Some of you have been in the place where you've even considered whether it's worth continuing to live. Now, I sat with a lot of people over the years that were considering ending their lives. And I could never understand it until for the first time in my life I experienced unmanageable emotional pain. I didn't get it until for the first time in my life this thing happened where I was like, I don't want to live. Resurrection. You know what I think? I think God's also resurrecting the church. I had another very good friend of mine who's been pastoring a church. He quit this week. He said, I can't do this anymore. He quit and he's off to be an electrician. I've had too much of the spirit of death operating in the church too, killing, killing believers, killing ministers, killing leaders. Resurrection. Would you mind standing? I thought I had a really good idea of how to land the plane on that message, but I feel like I just crashed into the side of the mountain a little bit. Thank you. Sometimes there's nothing like a good crash into the side of a mountain. Do you have something to add? Just one thing. Resurrection means to stand again. When you don't, don't want to. So, when you've lain down on the inside, or you've lain down everything and you don't want to get up again, stand again. God is here, and he's here to do what he always does. 
He's here to restore, to heal, to bring life. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You live in us. And I thank you, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father God, the firstborn from the dead. We thank you for the resurrection of hope, for the resurrection of purpose, for the resurrection of buried, covered spiritual gifts. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would come amongst us and that you would be undoing the work of the thief and the murderer in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence coming. We thank you, Lord, for resurrection in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that today we don't stand in any confidence in ourselves, but we stand in the confidence that is from you and you alone. You are the only way. There is no one else. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. All our hope is in you, Jesus. And we're asking, Lord, that your grace would come upon us, disarming our fears and our excuses and making us to be each of us an ambassador of the gospel to this city that is filled with people that need to know that they may believe. Come, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would release a boldness that we have not known, a fiery burning in our hearts, that we would not be those that would hide away and would enjoy you and put our, 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 our lamp under a bushel, but Lord Jesus, that there would be light for the city. And we add our voices to our brothers and sisters all over the city today that are crying out to you and longing that men, women and children all over the city would become followers of Jesus. We thank you today, Lord Jesus. You are the resurrection and the life that he or she who lives and believes in you, though we die, yet we shall live because Jesus, you are the firstborn from among the dead. Father, I'm asking right now, let your dunamis power rest on your word, not on my word, on your word. That which brings life, that which, which raises us from the place that Catherine talked about, having laid down and given up, that which stands us up again in the grace of Jesus Christ, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there be a testimony of who you are and what you're like in this city in Jesus' name. Resurrect your people. Resurrect this city. Come, Spirit of God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. This morning, I'd like to invite you to have, uh, have prayer. I'd like you to put yourself in a place where there is the opportunity for the laying on of hands and for a prophetic word even to be given. I'd like you to come 
regardless of whether you're on the top of the hill, you need to go higher. Or if you're in the deepest valley, we all need to walk in resurrection power. If you've had fear about sharing the gospel, I want you to come because we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray together and we're going to agree that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind because we need to share the gospel with the city around us. We're going to pray that there would be anointing on us, that we lay hands on the sick and they recover, that we'll cast out demons. We're asking that the Lord would restore in this city true, authentic, biblical Christianity. Not just here, but all over our city. That strongholds would come down. That witchcraft would be broken off. That the anointing would flow without human agenda attached to it, like river of life, crystal clear for the healing of nations. Please don't say I'm not really an altar call person. We all need the laying on of hands. We all need impartation. We all need someone who'll come alongside us from time to time and pray for us. So for the next, what's the time? Oh, we're early. For the next five or 10 minutes, come stand out the front. We're gonna worship and some of us are gonna roam around and we're gonna lay hands on you and pray for you. Come on, don't be on the back foot. Come forward, let's get into it. Elders and a few of the people that we normally rope in, would you come and would you move around and pray? It's been
had a hymn all this week. It's called Peace Like a River, and it's Well with My Soul. It's not working, but anyhow, I'll just keep talking. So I'm going to try and we're going to try and sing it. I can't sing it, but I feel that the Bible says there is a river that flows from the throne of God, and it's a river of peace. And I know when our soul is well, it does something to us. And if you forget the lyrics, they're very, very powerful. So we'll see how we go.
Well